Hola, hello everyone. How are you? Oh, I'm sorry. How are y'all doing? What a joy and a privilege to have this conversation with you. I'm so sorry I cannot be physically in Texas in order to enjoy again some amazing Texas barbecue. I mean, in order to see you in person. But thank you, Pastor Ken, Pastor Dan, for inviting me to speak this morning from Spain in Europe. For those of you new to Faith Bridge or maybe visiting or connecting for the first time, my name is Helder Fabarin and I'm married to Anna. We have four children. Well, we had Matteo and Raffaello and we hoped to have a girl. Valentina did come, but she brought a brother, Pietro, with her. They are twins. They recorded this greeting especially for you today. Hola! Hello, I wonder if you know the impact that you all have had here in Spain. Two years ago, when I visited Faith Bridge for the first time, you gave us a special gift that changed the course of C29 Granada, a church we planted uh, seven years ago here in Granada, one of the most strategic university cities in Europe. La Universidad de Granada, or the University of Granada, is uh, a top university in Spain and it has over 60,000 students. Only around 0.002% of the students are part of a Protestant church. Thanks to your generosity and partnership, a dream came true, which we couldn't possibly have fulfilled on our own. We were able to rent and renovate a place at the city center by the university campus for our church to gather and use it as a means to our mission of uh, making disciples of Jesus in Granada, Spain, Europe and beyond. We had the huge joy of welcoming Pastor Dan, who preached at the inauguration of the church site back in January. The place was packed beyond capacity and we couldn't believe the number of neighbors and guests who attended that historical uh, service. You, my dear friends from Faithbridge, have been the key instrument and catalyst in the Lord's hand for this God-given vision to become a reality in such a needed context as ours. So I again, I say thank you ever so much on behalf of all our church family. Now, please raise your hand if you happen to be watching a, a Netflix, Hulu or Amazon series at the moment. Okay, no, no surprise, a number of book publishers are facing economical crisis. Some time ago, uh, Anna and I watched Prison Break. Has anyone else watched it? Prison Break, as you would expect, tells the story of a, a group of men trying to escape prison. It is indeed a shame they all died in the attempt. I'm joking. I won't tell you what happens. But, but I came across a very interesting uh, research developed with people in prison by Dr. Ginnigan, a British criminology professor, and it resulted in an article called The Role of Hope in Preparation for Release from Prison. She studied several prisoners' expectations about future release and concluded that 
an optimistic outlook on the future was associated with better psychological adjustment. Prisoners that had hope, a positive expectancy regarding their future, adjusted better back into society once they had been released. The results may not surprise us, and they surely remind us of something profound about human nature. Looking at tomorrow with hope positively affects the way we live our today. Uh, being optimistic about the future generates strength and perseverance for today. Isn't it true? Uh, for example, uh, you work harder today if you know you could be promoted tomorrow. You will travel long distances today if you know you will be able to, to see that, that person you, you love once again in a few days. You will fast for several days if you know you will enjoy some barbecue ribs next week. Am I the only one addicted to barbecue ribs? <laughs> Seriously, uh, this is particularly true when, when you are experiencing difficulties. Having something positive to expect or look forward to will help you endure the difficulty of today. This is exactly what so many of us need in this season of life. Don't you agree? Not only in Spain or in the US, but throughout the world, as we all deal with this coronavirus crisis and, and all the personal, economical, social and political distress. Let's be honest. We all want to find hope to help us deal with the difficulties we may be going through, don't we? I really hope, therefore, my friends, that the next minutes will be life-changing for us in this regard. Well, th there were a number of people actually spread throughout Asia Minor, where Turkey is today, who needed to find hope in the midst of suffering and persecution. They were experiencing, uh, back then, uh, under the Roman Empire, around 2,000 years ago. They were Christians and they belonged to several different local churches in that region. A man called John wrote them a book to encourage these people in the midst of their challenges. As many of you would know, John was an apostle, one of the close disciples of Jesus and leaders of the early church. And the book he wrote is called Revelation. It wasn't uh, his idea to write the book. God himself, mainly through an angel he sent, showed John extraordinary visions of the future to come. In the last two chapters of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, John describes his vision of a new heaven and a new earth. He also calls it the holy city or the new Jerusalem. This new amazing place where, where God and his people will live forever. Many would commonly refer to it as heaven and think it's up there. Though John specifically says in Revelation, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This new city is part of a, of a new reality and a new moment in existence. Human history, as we know it, has come to an end. 
John's portrayal of the new city is simply impressive. So please listen and imagine this remarkable description from Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5 and then verses 22 to 26. Let me just drink some water from my special Texas mug, which I brought after my first visit to Faith Bridge. So, Revelation 21, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then verses 22 to 26 says, say, I did not see a, a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Oh, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Impressive, don't you think? Can you imagine what this description did in the hearts of those suffering Christians who read John's words 2,000 years ago? Can you imagine how this picture of the future waiting for them affected the way they lived their present? I can almost hear some of them saying in awe, uh, Indeed, the best is yet to come. I will live uh, eternally in a new world with God on the throne and at the center of every sphere of society. I need to get some perspective today. I may be so focused on my own problems, frustration, personal, national or global uncertainties that I lose sight of the hope I have in Jesus, of who is sitting on the throne, of the fact that history is going somewhere of the reality that God is on the move and on a mission and He continues to extend His kingdom in the midst of all the personal, national or global crises humanity may face. But please hear me. Revelation was not only written to them, the first readers. It was also written to us today. The picture of eternity with God in the holy city must also affect our present and infuse us with hope, perseverance and gratitude. When was the, the last time 
we really got encouraged about the reality waiting for us. Now, before we move on, let, let me open a parenthesis and, and invite you to consider that our human dissatisfaction with death and with our deep longing for eternity is actually a, a clue that points us to the reality of something on the other side. Christians not only believe something is not only believe something to be true because it is in the Bible, but we also are confident that things are in the Bible because they are true. They reflect reality. This is not the case with hope in a truly atheistic worldview, for instance. And I say this respectfully. Peter uh, Atkins, a well-known atheist chemist from Oxford, wrote, We are children of chaos, and the deep structure of change is decay. At root, there is only corruption. Gone is purpose. The Christian view, on the other hand, is quite different. Therefore, when John in Revelation describes the picture of eternity with God in the holy city and infuses hope in his readers and us, he's not sharing wishful thinking. It is the reality waiting for us and for which we've been created to enjoy. Are you still with me? Good. Uh, let's move on uh, because the best of the best is yet to come. We, we could spend hours studying John's description of the new city, particularly in chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation. And I encourage you to do so uh, some other time. But in the next minutes, I want to camp with you in five words that John uses in the description of this new future reality. Here is where you, you need to fasten your seatbelt and open your eyes, even if you are pretending to be praying, and, and get ready. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a very influential English preacher of the 19th century, described these five words I'm about to read as the heaven of heaven. If the best is yet to come, this is the best of the best. If there is one future hope that must affect our present and help us through our difficulties, it is captured in these five words. Are you ready? So please join us next week and we will look at those words. No, seriously, here they are. In the midst of Revelation's extraordinary description of the new eternal holy city, John writes in Revelation 22, verse 4, the last page of the Bible, they will see his face. They will see his face. Nine years ago, my wife and I found out she was pregnant with our first child. However, into the fifth week of pregnancy, Anna suddenly started suffering a severe ble bleeding. She had to be hospitalized. Though the embryonic sac was still attached, her uterus was filled with blood, and the doctors described the situation as a natural abortion threat. As the baby was too young to have a heartbeat, the only way to know if it was still alive 
was to make a two-day comparison of the amount of a specific hormone that grows exponentially during the beginning of any pregnancy. With many friends and family, we were praying for God to, to interfere. The doctor then brought us the first results. The amount of hormones was equivalent to a two or three day pregnancy. The hard conclusion was that our child was no longer alive. By then, the results of the second test would not, would not matter as the first hormone count was so low. Anna signed the authorization for the medical procedure to remove our dead child, and we were waiting in the room for, for her to be taken. However, the next day, around lunchtime, the doctor showed up holding the second test results and said, it's now rightly equivalent to five or six weeks of pregnancy. I will let you go home and we will wait and see what happens. God had made a miracle. Months went by and the big day arrived. We rode to the hospital for the delivery. My mother-in-law was with us. That was another uh, challenge. And maybe in my next visit, I can give you more details. <laughs> I'm joking. She was, as always, a wonderful obstacle. Uh, sorry, I mean, a, a wonderful help. There were some complications, though. Uh, so a C-section was necessary. I was allowed to come in right at the moment our son Matteo was being born. I will never forget the instant I saw his face for the first time. I, I began uh, weeping and I, I remember the nurse looked at me and said, why are you crying? And I said to her, because he, he's so ugly. I'm kidding. I said, because I'm emotional, I, I, I am happy. All the difficulties Anne and I had gone through during, his, uh, during uh, the pregnancy made th uh, this moment with, uh, even more special. The moment we finally saw our son's face for the first time. But friends, when the Apostle John in Revelation says they will see his face, he's talking about a future experience, experience that is actually infinitely more extraordinary than seeing a child's face for the first time. Let me answer two questions that I think will, will help everyone understand the, the force of these words. They will see his face. Even if you've never heard a teaching from uh, the Bible before, and despite my funny accent. <laughs> the first question is, who are they? The second, whose face will they see? First, who are they? The answer is, they are the people of God. Revelation uh, also uses other terms to describe them. Uh, servants of God, children of God, multitude in heaven, people from every tribe, language and nation. They are not those who simply attend church services, live a moral life, or call themselves Christians. They, according to the Bible, are those that have received the forgiveness that God offers, have trusted Jesus as Lord, and have the Holy Spirit, God himself, living in them. They are those that have been bought by the blood of Jesus, shed on the cross, and because Jesus was resurrected, 
they will also be resurrected and live again for eternity with God. They are those who have been sent by Jesus to cooperate with God's movement and mission in the world. So you and I are part of they, if what I have just explained is a, a reality in our lives. And if it's not your situation up until now, it can be from today, if you welcome Jesus as the Lord of your life. So, uh, when, when Revelation says, they will see his face, they is a reference to the people of God. The second question is, whose face will they see? The answer is clear from the text we've just uh, read. They saw God's face. This is historical. This is revolutionary. This is unprecedented. And this is incomparable. And let me tell you why. Several centuries before John wrote, they will see his face. A very interesting conversation took place between God and a man called Moses. Moses wanted to know God deeper and asks God to show him his glory. As part of his response, God says something striking in Exodus 33 verses 20 to 23. Let me read it to you. God says to Moses, You cannot see my face, for no one may see and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand you, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Let's move forward and hear what the same John who wrote Revelation says in his biography of Jesus, called the Gospel of John or only John in this respect. He wrote in John 1 verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but the, the one and only Son, who is God himself and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The Bible is clear. Nobody has yet seen the face of God. The fullness of his holiness, his perfection, his glory, his power, his beauty are so majestic and, and beyond human comprehension that it is impossible to see God and stay alive before such a magnificent encounter. But, but how come John wrote those words saying in the last page of the Bible, they will see his face? Well, we must remember John is describing what will take place in the future. Those living in the new holy city have new bodies, completely purified by Jesus. It's a new stage in history, a new reality, a new phase in people's relationship with God. It is the climax and the fulfillment of God's plans and promises. So then, and only then, they we will see God's face. The best is yet to come. And this is the best of the best. It is the greatest delight or pleasure ever to be experienced. Theologians uh, throughout history have called this moment the beatic 
vision. My friends, the absence of suffering in eternity is surely better than the presence of suffering today. But it is not the best of our future with God. The best is what is that we will see His face. Complete healing for our bodies and our souls in heaven is of course better than our illnesses and traumas and scars today. But it is not the best of our future with God. The best is that we will see His face. Reunion with people we love and miss is of course better than their absence and it is something we look forward to. But it is not the best of our future with God. The best is that we will see His face. They will see His face. No hope can bring the endurance and even the joy in the midst of our crisis as the anticipation of one day seeing God face to face. But you know what? First, let me drink again from my Texas mug. You know what? J.C. Ryle, who was an influential English bishop, is probably right when he wrote, The highest form of selfishness is that of a person who is content to go to heaven alone. The fact that the people of God will see his face is a hope that brings comfort in times like this. But it is also a hope that challenges us to be all the more diligent in fulfilling our mission. It challenges us to share this hope with others in Houston and throughout the world. Can you think of a greater honor than having other people seeing the face of God because you shared Jesus with them? You may have heard of C.S. Lewis, who taught in Oxford and in Cambridge, which is, of course, uh, are not as good universities as the ones in Texas, but well, he is the author of many notable books, including the popular series uh, The Chronicles of Narnia. Lewis was an atheist who experienced a, a dramatic personal transformation and became a Christian. He wrote uh, the following in, in his uh, remarkable book, Mere Christianity. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this, says Lewis. And Professor Richard Bockham, an expert in the book of Revelation, wrote that Revelation is orientated to the coming of God's kingdom in the whole world and calls Christians to active participation in this coming of the kingdom, in its daring hope for the conversion of all the nations to the worship of the true God. Of course, the times we are living are extremely difficult, but so were the times for the first readers of Revelation. Our times are uh, our times are also times of unprecedented opportunities for the growth of God's kingdom. And it is up to us to either engage with God, what God is doing globally or not. Did you know that in our days, the Church of Jesus, the family of God, 
is growing more rapidly than in any other period in history? Friends, the, the times change, but the mission of the church does not. The mission of Faithbridge, echoing the, the commission of, that Jesus gave us all, is to make more and stronger disciples of Jesus Christ, who make more and stronger disciples of Jesus Christ. The present crisis does not change this mission. How we accomplish it is, of course, affected. But what is accomplished is not. The, the God whose face we will one day see is frequently portrayed in Revelation as sitting on the throne. By the way, that's the main symbol of the book. It had religious and political implications. It showed that God was in control, no matter what happens. It reminds us that God's activity is not taken by surprise by a year like 2020. On the contrary, I read of a survey showing that despite all the limitations, Americans are far more likely to say coronavirus crisis has strengthened their faith rather than weakened it. Due to the restrictions to gather, Christian online initiatives across the globe have meant that during the pandemic, more people in more countries have heard the good news of Jesus in one given day than in any other day prior uh, to the pandemic. According to a study from the University of Copenhagen in Denmark, internet searches related to prayer in 75 countries skyrocketed, skyrocketed to their highest levels in, in five years, in March, when the COVID-19 outbreak was declared a pandemic. The number of collaboration in projects related to Bible translation, Bible studies, church planting or evangelism, for example, have escalated exponentially and globally because of the pandemic. You probably have your own stories to share. Uh, this, this week I, I was in, in line waiting for my car to be checked when I overheard the conversation between an older man in front of me and the cashier. He was told he could only pay with a card and no cash was accepted because of the virus. He looked worried and said, I don't have a card. I then said, sorry to interrupt, but, but I do have a card. Can, can I pay for him? And he gives me the cash. Sure, the cashier said. This man was so touched by this simple act that tears came to his eyes and, and tears came to, to mine. We then got talking about how much we need to help each other in times like this. But I was also able to say to him, I believe in God and God has been so good to us. What I've, what I've done is, is nothing. This man was not a Christian and, and, and only because of this restriction, we were able to have this conversation. A friend of mine, because of the partial lockdown we have here, was a bit anxious to, to stay home and stay at home and decided to take his dog to the park and, and do some exercise. He got talking to a guy in the park who happened to be from the Middle East. He's doing a doctorate here in Granada. They ended up talking about God. My friend was so excited about that random encounter that only took place because of the lockdown. A brilliant uh, young woman uh, we had the privilege of baptizing in our church in, 
is the only Christian in, in her family. She wrote to me saying how excited she was that one of her sisters who lives in Germany was listening to our online sermons. Now, all these stories remind us of the fact that the God whose face we will see is on the throne and his kingdom is being extended. This hope challenges us to be even more diligent in our engagement with mission. With friends, uh, neighbors, uh, co-workers, through social media in Houston, but also at a global level. It is our call and our privilege to cooperate with what God is doing in his world until the vision of revelation is fulfilled. And as we read before in chapter 21, verse 4, the nations, uh, the nations walk by God's light and the kings of the earth bring their splendor into the new city. This week while uh, running, I, I listened to Pastor Ken, Pastor Ken's excellent sermon from last Sunday. I'm sharing it with, with others. And Ken reminded us that God wants to meet us in our furnaces, just as he did with three young men described in the book of Daniel. As a result of their hope in God, the most powerful man on earth turned to God and changed the laws of his nation. Our hope in God must positively affect others. Because every Christian is a human being on a mission. Friends, let's, let's keep on praying and giving and going for our local, national and global mission. Our future hope does not lead us to passivity. On the contrary, it must challenge, inspire and move us to action. In a letter that C.S. Lewis sent to an older woman in hospital who was fearing her life was coming to an end, Lewis wrote, There are better things ahead than any we leave behind. Lewis was convinced that the best was yet to come. And the best of the best will unquestionably be that we will see God's face. Do, do you have this assurance? Are you sure you are also one of the they described in Revelation? If you haven't yet trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, do so now. Hear his voice speaking to your soul and, and calling you to himself. Receive the gift of eternal life in which the best of the best will be that you will also see his face. And, and if you are already a follower of Jesus and you trust these words from the Bible, please answer these questions honestly. When, when, when was the last time we pondered on this future expectation? Is seeing the face of God our greatest desire? Is it moving us to action as we seek to share this hope with others and be engaged in God's mission today, let's, let's ask for his forgiveness in case there is something we desire more than seeing his face. And let's allow this future hope to give us perspective and affect the way we live our present. Be encouraged. 
go because the best is yet to come. We will see his face. Thank you.